there's this angel called Clarence, or sort of, it's not, he's not an angel yet, he's a, he's a wannabe angel, working to a second class, yeah, trying to get his wings, and he's got one, like, he's got to pull, it's a bit like a bank, he's got one last job to pull, and he'll get the wings. They do the comedy drunk bit before they do the why he's drunk bit, so you laugh at him, and then you see that it's because his son's died of influenza somewhere else in the world, and you feel like a complete shit. He seems embarrassed to be saying it, but he also seems like he believes it enough that he doesn't care that he knows he's making a bit of a scene and absolutely nails it to the back wall of the room. It's Christmas time and you know what that means. Oh, it's hot tub time. As I light the tree this year, you'll be in the tub. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil's Christmas special. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Is it possible you found a Christmas staple I've never heard before? What is this <sighs> hot tub Christmas situation? <laughs> Have you not come across the, um, the, the sensation that is Frank Sinatra hot tub time? Frank Sinatra... Um. <laughs> You've taken me from... From... <laughs> Jimmy Stewart celebrating Christmas. All of a sudden, there's a hot tub. All of a sudden, there's Frank Sinatra. This has taken a turn, Matt. Right, we're going to get into that at the, at the end of the podcast. All will be revealed. But um, oh, it's the hit. It's the hit single that I can't stop singing. Um, it's not actually Frank Sinatra, but it is. Um, <laughs> it, it's a mystery that I'll, I'll resolve at the end anyway. Because um, you're, you're not here to listen to me talk about Frank Sinatra singing a potentially made up song you hate to listen to our christmas special <laughs> potentially spoilers <laughs> uh this year um we are going to do it's not a classic of literature but it's seen by many as a classic of film it's a wonderful life oh classics matt classics mm. no dave have you you've um come into this for the first time is that right yeah, so as somebody, this is a hell of a time as somebody who's been doing a sort of books plus other culture podcast for like seven years, to admit. Uh, but I have never seen It's a Wonderful Life, or I had never seen A Wonderful Life until I watched it uh, for this. I have, on the other hand, seen Austin Powers 3 Gold Member three times in the cinema. <laughs> So I feel like that I need to. Christmas is a time for for new beginnings, right? For coming clean and making making confessions of this sort. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I'd never seen this before. Had you? How big a part of your Christmas thing was this for you? Um, I came to it probably. I think I saw it for the first time when I was uh, in my early teens. My okay. uncle. It was my uncle's favorite film, so he got oh, us to sit down nice. and watch it. And I yeah. think I was probably not the best age. To watch it for the first time as a teenager, <laughs> I was like, "It's just old. I don't, I don't get it." Is it but, it's um, black and white. It must be rubbish. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it's sort of it, it's so from that low bar, it's improved with every watch for me. And uh, yeah, I think it's great. So we're going to take you through it, sort of scene by scene. Um, and if you want to, obviously, it's it's come out of nowhere. This we haven't advertised it early. So if you want to get in touch as ever with a review or a couple of comments on it, Shark Live Royal Podcast at G email.com is the way to get in touch and at shark live royal on twitter you can also find us on facebook and as we always say or we should always say we don't uh, please leave us a review on um, on itunes if you listen to us on there right that's all the, that's all the admin out of the way dave Let's now get into it's it straight christmas yes. inject christmas directly into my heart <laughs> 1946 
this was made. We're going back to 1946. And when you look at the opening titles, you can see it. Because it's a, it's probably you're probably watching it in black and white. So they've done sort of they've done a color version these days. No, they yeah. didn't. It's oh, true. Matt. Oh, it's I can. Oh, that must look like some somebody's just let their kid loose on it with a set of slightly melty wax crayons. Like <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine this colorized. Goodness. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen the. Um, I haven't seen the color version. But um, yeah. but I mean. The, the classic way to watch it is the way we have, which is the black and white, as it was meant to be. Um, and it starts with this sort of... The opening titles are is sort of some like pages in a Christmas book being turned, but because it's the 40s, they are literally being turned. It's like someone's filming it. Someone's, and someone's got a hand and he's turning a page. <laughs> yeah, which I love the... I, uh, yeah. I never get tired of that. And actually, points through this film, and just any time I watch an older film, which I don't get much of a chance to do, I I sort of love how much you can see how hard they had to work to create the kind of movie magic of it all. Because <laughs> yeah. I've grown up with like either like that when I was a kid, it was the pinnacle of like of like physical special effects, and then CGI started happening when I was about ten. So like I'm just you could you could have a book doing backflips on fire singing to you telling you the telling you the credits in what's normal <laughs> to me and then you see this shadowy hand just kind of going shh, 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 shh. we can't hear the pages turn here we go the director <laughs> was <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think the, the sort of the christmas titles get you in a christmassy mood in a christmas feel do you feel christmassy yet by the way i well i'll tell you i do because um uh Regular listeners to the podcast will know that I will often preface something that I'm saying with the fact that I'm in Cambodia and it's hot and it doesn't feel, particularly for Christmassy, doesn't feel Christmassy in the slightest. I am actually currently in Canada where we had half a metre of snow three weeks ago and it just hasn't left. So I'm looking out on a full white Christmas winter wonderland. I believe it may be the first white Christmas I I have ever had. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, and also, you know, we're not one of these fake podcasts that record the Christmas special at sort of, you know, Halloween or something. Ha! This is this is December the twenty second, and we're yep. you know, I'm, I've got the the tree the trees up, I've got the Christmas liqueur out, got the um, Father Christmas oh, with Quality oh, Street. You've just reminded me. Hang on a sec. Christmas drink. Got me whiskey. Yes. Cheers. Merry Christmas. Sledgeva. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so there's these Christmas credits, and then we get into a group of sort of, you can hear a few people saying prayers for this guy called George, praying for him. And then we're into sort of this sort of cosmic bit where there are some <laughs> galaxies talking to each other. Um, <laughs> this comes out of nowhere. This is, and every time I watch it, I'm always surprised by like the direction it goes in. I love because it's it's what we were saying before about the actual turny page thing for the credits, like having yeah. your credits written on an actual bit of paper. This is somebody's gone in with a script and going, "Listen, Jimmy Stewart's attached. He's keen, and we can make it happen. It's going to be a classic. I think it could be this century's A Christmas Carol." But the thing is, we've got five minutes of talking between angels at the beginning and about 50p in the budget. Um, so what if we make them ever so slightly glowing, low-fi galaxies? Hmm. Maybe maybe that would work? Why maybe? Not? And it, it sort of does, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it does the job. And it sort of gives us the introduction, sort of sets out the plot, basically. There's this angel called Clarence, or sort of, it's not, he's not an angel yet. He's a, he's a wannabe angel. Angel second work, class. Clarence. Second class, yeah. Trying to get his wings. And he's got one, la- he's got a pull, it's a bit like a bank job. He's got one last job to pull, and he'll get the wings. And... Uh, <laughs> It's a heist. I've, a- I've got to get my ineffable eternal uh, status. I love that status <laughs> is still something you chase. You still got to book for promotion when you're a, when you're a, a being of pure energy and light. And I'm going to make it happen. I got to climb that ziggurat, lickety split. And let me tell you, in eternity, it's a hell of a ziggurat. Let's go. <laughs> Clarence has got places to be. Yeah, so there's a guy he's got to save called George, but first we've got to get a bit of George's history so Clarence understands sort of who he's dealing with. He has an idea of the, the kind of person he's dealing with. So. <laughs> Do you even know the kind of guy you're dealing with here? <laughs> and it starts with it starts with some kids like having a lot of fun in a potentially dangerous situation. Straight away, you're holding your head. You're like, oh no, where's this going to go? <laughs> <laughs> You are, aren't you? I'm glad it wasn't just me when I saw a collection at the, in the setup phase. The let me tell you how this character got to this point start of the movie opens on a scene of children playing sledging, but with with like sharp metal shovels on eyes. <laughs> like, how dark is this going to be? Because we've already established that suicide is going to play a part in it. How yeah. bad is he going to go? Yeah, and yeah, so his little brother's like, I'm not scared, and inevitably he ends up in the icy lake. Um, George jumps in and saves him, um, and ends up with this this sort of hearing disability in one ear. He's very sweet and very touching, and actually I thought the kid that they've got doing, um, they've got doing George was was brilliant at doing Mm. it. Um, I've got to say though, again, so so I'm I'm in Canada because uh, my wife's family are from Canada, and that means that I've had my fair share of oh, you wouldn't believe this one time the 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 pond was frozen over stories since <laughs> since the winter started. And there are a few, because my parents-in-law grew up before the era of, like, heated homes living yeah. in a place where it gets down to, like, minus 40. So they've got a few. And let me tell you, Canadians, or certainly, so I'm in Saskatchewan. In Saskatchewan, people find it kind of normal, kind of normal, to do something which to me is mad, which is to get in their car... And drive it out over a frozen lake, deep as you like, not a problem. And then when they've reached a really good point where they think it's going to be a good day, what they do is they pile up some snow so they've got some place to sit. And then they get out a drill bit that's the size of a log, basically. And Mm. they drill a hole in the ice underneath the truck, so or next to the truck, so that they can go fishing through it. And then they settle down with with a cup of coffee. And they they have they ice fish and it's a thing, mm. and so this is so you know I'm, I love my Canadian family very much but that's mad right and 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 the thing is you see like all the public safety announcements this year and every year are from the police anywhere else in the world the public safety announcement would be don't drive your car on a frozen lake just to stay safe just cars and frozen lakes don't go well together keep them apart cars on the road. Frozen lakes for the frozen fish. Keep them there. In in Saskatchewan, there are public service announcements going, <laughs> letting you know the minimum depth that ice has to be in order for it to be safely drivable on. <laughs> Which I, I can't get enough of this. And all of like I was watching, I was watching this, and all of me is looking at that going, hang on, is that ice melted at that end? It's So it's, it's liquid at one end of the lake and solid at the other end of the lake, and they're still going <laughs> out there. Let me tell you, Matt. The public safety announcements 
of Saskatchewan would have something to say about that. Yeah, they would have is, opinions. This is like, what, the 1920s or something, so... Chumps. You know, they, Chumps. <laughs> Chumps. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he saves his little brother. You're right, uh, the guy who plays young George, the little kid who plays young George is great. Um, yeah. The Some of the other child actors... Not the best in this uh, in this section. Um, we get George in the drugstore with a couple of with a couple of girls. Um, it's a bit up and down, but it's quite it's quite sweet. I, I kind of I always find I give kids a bit more of a a bit more of a chance anyway. Oh, even. especially in the fifties, where even like <laughs> yeah. Oscar winning actors acted as if they were reading their lines off the off a board behind the camera. Like yeah. a seven year old, you get as much rope as you like. Yeah. What's the thing that he does when he walks in though? Where he does that? He does this like. I wish for a million dollars, and then he sort of flicks this thing. And is it is it a flame? Is it a cigarette lighter or something? I think it's just a lever. I think it's just something he does every every time he goes in because there's a connection. A bit later on, as an adult, he's still doing it, isn't he? Yeah, it's just a bit of funny hearts. Like he wish. I don't know if it's you make a wish on something and, and pull the lever. You make a wish on the public cigarette lighter that's available to children <laughs> to play with. Yeah, maybe it was a advertising thing in the 20s. <laughs> so, who can say? Upon a time, yeah. cocaine was something you gave to grandmas to just get them over the rheumatism. So, yeah. what can, yeah. who can say? He's um he's making this ice cream for this little girl, and she leans over and tells her tells him that she loves him, and he doesn't respond. He just completely ignores her. And I um the first time I watched it thought. He was just ignoring her. That's, he, that's it's because he, he can't. Because he, he can't hear out of that ear. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. they even do the set this up for the audience line where she goes, "Is this the ear that doesn't work?" <laughs> I'm gonna whisper my eternal love in this one. Yeah, I think. I wonder if for the first ten minutes, I I was still sort of acclimatizing to classic cinema because this next bit with the old chap, I struggled with as well. I, I thought he was trying to kill himself. Um, yeah, me too. That yeah. I thought, I thought, well, because we kind of been primed for suicide, right? And then you see this guy who's got some distressing news and is plainly a bit drunk. And I have to say, they do the comedy drunk bit before they do the why he's drunk bit. So you laugh at him, goes, <laughs> right, I was doing the things. And then you see that it's because his son's died of influenza somewhere else in the world and you feel like a complete shit. And yeah. then you see him doing the thing and he's actually, he's putting poison tabs out. And I was like, oh God, right, okay, we're there, fine. Got there quickly, yeah. no problem. That's it was the forties, different era. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, but it turns out he's um, so he's trying to find, he's trying to set out a prescription for someone, and um, yeah, in his in his distress, he's accidentally reached for the uh, the poison instead. <laughs> so luckily, George intervenes and um, and manages to stop it. There's he, he does it, and then the. Uh, the old guy finally like works out what he's done and is really grateful after knocking the poor little kid about for a bit. I was going to say that. So I didn't know whether I had... There were a few scenes, uh, yeah, and even as apparently absolute classics, we now have to have this thing where there are scenes where I'm like, did they really... Did that just... Was <laughs> there a... And, and the elderly drunken man beating seven sides of shit out of a small child was definitely one of the moments where I was like, uh, it... <laughs> Is this still in? Am I watching like an old cut of this film? But you had it as well in your version. Yeah, yeah. And I always think, you know, um, leave it in the form it was made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. generally speaking, I would agree with that. It is what it is. It's like, Dave, it's like the ghost of Christmas past. That they are what they are, (laughs) do not blame me. (laughs) This is how fucking awful it used to be. 
<laughs> These are but shades of the past. That they are what These... they are. Do not blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at the point of holding you responsible for the fact that uh, it was it was a realistic scene. Just that it was like, oh, a child being punched in the face. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Nice, mm. nice, sweet, uplifting. So, so yeah, he he does finally work out that George was trying to help him, and he's uh, extremely sort of thankful. Um, in yeah. between that. George dashes over to his dad's work to ask for some advice, and um, his dad's busy arguing with this this guy called Potter. <laughs> it's a, a different association these days, hasn't it? But it is it is it works when you say it in the evil tone of voice and try and try and forget that the, it's now the name of a really cute little wizard. Yeah, yeah. Potter, so this is the, the, the this bastard is. profiteer. <laughs> yeah, this is the big bad of the film. He's this uh, this character that's yeah um, exploiting the town. He's really rich, and all he cares about is getting richer. Um, mm. And he, he'll constantly sort of bump up against uh, buildings and loans, which is uh, George's dad's, and then eventually George's firm. Um, yeah. And and they are a bit more like a co-op, aren't they? They're trying to sort of help rather than just exploit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. George, George George at this age has his first of what will become many absolute blow-ups in front of Potter. He just shouts at him and then gets shepherded out of the room. And the thing is, we're on board for every last one of them, aren't we? Yeah. Every single one of them. We're like, yeah, go on, get into him. And even before we've established that Potter is an evil shit, and man, he is the evil shit to tooty evil shits. We're already you just you just looking at him, and you're like, in a film like this, a guy like you looking like that, sitting in the back room of a bank, <laughs> I already despise you. <laughs> and this actor's having so much fun playing this. Oh, so yeah. much fun to watch. <laughs> uh, it's that you forget again. You forget that the, the cliche of the old actor just absolutely having a whale of a time chewing the scenery. <laughs> That's a cliche for a reason, and it's because there's 30, 40, 50 years of cinematic history where old actors would reach a certain age and go, "Right, I've only got one <laughs> note to play, but I'll tell you, I'm playing it loud." Here we go. <laughs> I've only got one level, and it's eleven. I'm doing this one <laughs> on eleven again. <laughs> I've only got one flavour, and it's shit. Go. <laughs> So um, so then we move, we cycle forward a few years. We we, we see grown up George. So the star arrives, um, and he's he's getting a free suitcase. So that the the old chap who he sort of saved from accidentally poisoning someone at the uh, pharmacy, at the drugstore, um, he's bought him a, a suitcase because George is off to see Europe and then go to university. Live the dream. Uh, yeah, at the age of what exactly? Were you a bit were you a bit confused by this? <laughs> this is funny because um, Kate asked me this as well at the same time, especially because he he goes on this date with this like high school girl shortly yeah. after, and yeah. Um, yeah, he's supposed to be. I mean, by the time we get a few years on, he's in his sort of mid late twenties, isn't he? So yeah. I think he's supposed to be sort of fresh out of fresh out of high school on the way to college, maybe like 17, 18. But the thing is, because they don't do any aging or anything like that, and because he's sort of 30 odd for most of the film he yeah. just still looks 30 it's just he does it's exactly that and it's it was really disquieting i had exactly the same moment when he's out on the street and this and it turns out to be the girl his contemporary who had a crush on him and who whispered yeah. into his ear um but she's being played 
by an actress who is whatever she is, 19, 20, 21. 25. She was at this. Okay. All right. 20. There we go. 25. And, but, but as you say, George Bailey is being played by Jimmy Stewart, who was 38 at the time. And that's a different scene. <laughs> that does not look right. And it's, I love the fact that, like, they don't, they just didn't bother. They were just like, we're not, I don't know, different haircut, maybe color it differently, <laughs> slight smooth out the skin. Because, you know, 38-year-old men in those days had already had two-thirds of their time on the planet, right? Mm. Like, they were going to hit 60 and look ancient. So, <laughs> but, and yet, here he is, asking, even asking at one point, even asks her how old she is, and it's like, mm. <laughs> I think that was the point where Kate turned to him and was like, how old is this guy supposed yeah, to be? Yeah, exactly. Um, this yeah. is not flying the way you think it is. <laughs> Before we get to the dance, um, we have a little sort of scene at home with uh, George and his brother and his dad um, and the maid. Um, there's a bit of horseplay with the maid. This is a little bit of an uncomfortable watch these days, yeah, but again, yeah. very of its time. Little bit of little bit of an uncomfortable watch in that the guy chasing the African-American servant woman around the house in a... Let's say there was some arse touching, because I'm pretty sure there was some arse touching. He in a way, he, he certainly aimed, didn't he? He certainly aimed. There was exactly. certainly intent. There was intent. And it was all supposed to be hugely playful. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> what is it? You bastard. And then what that character becomes later in the movie as well. I was like. Yeah. That's the, I, yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to, obviously. But yes, I'm glad you bumped on that as well. Because boy, did I bump on that that particular moment. Yeah, in a, in a in a modern film, that that is the start of his sort of dark origin story, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh goodness, yeah. Anyway, um, there, there is a nice little sort of moment between George and his dad where George accidentally insults him by saying, "I don't want to be stuck in this town at buildings alone, <laughs> this load of rubbish," and then he and then he sort of realizes what he said, and his dad's sort of fine with it. And then yeah. he just sort of tells him what he thinks of him and that he's really, um, he thinks he's great. And it's just yeah. a nice little, it's a nice little moment of like, on it, like brave honesty for the film because you could, yeah. it could have easily been like, oh, come on, we're in this on, but it kind of works yeah. somehow. No, it does. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. And, and, you know, like 50% of that is because it's Jimmy Stewart who built like, you know, one of the most, one of the biggest stars in the history of Hollywood built his career around being that sort of decent guy who can make, a line like that and a character like this land without you thinking mm. it's just covered in, in honey. But actually, I love the dad character as well. Really lovely little sketch of a sort of you see where he gets it from and you mm. completely see why George Bailey is the way George Bailey is throughout the film. Is yeah. that, you know, he's been raised in the context of this sort of this thing. So this isn't what the story is about at all. But actually, I did find it really touching and lovely at Christmas. The mm. sort of the the reflection of the good father in the good son is just a really wonderful thing. Um, the the so the two brothers head out to this dance, and uh, they meet a few of the other lads. Uh, one of them is this guy who throughout the film does this hee haw <laughs> thing. Classic, classic bants. <laughs> yeah. like with his with his hand by his head as well, as if he's doing yeah. like a like a moose with one antler left or something, making a donkey noise. I don't know. Hee haw. Yeah. Right. Yeah, pro- proper sort of 40s bands. Uh, <laughs> 40s bands, where you've known six people your own age your entire life in a small town, and bants is just whatever you can make up between the six of you. And that's, okay, donkey sounds, brilliant, go. 
there's this caper with uh, involving a, a swimming pool. So, um, so, so George... they're asking for trouble, weren't they? <laughs> Building a swimming pool underneath a movable dance floor <laughs> with one key and one button to open it. Yeah. Classic. So, um, so George uh, meets Mary again, um, sort of for the first time in ages, and she sort of immediately drops the the guy who's telling her some boring story or other, and they um, sort of have a dance together to get his own back. This um. This guy, this guy gets tempted by this other, this other sort of guy who comes out of nowhere just to do the sort of devil on his shoulder, telling him about you could open the pool. And it's I so love, good. yeah, I love the way that guy again. He just, he just takes that part and turns it up to eleven and does the shiftiest <laughs> sort of conversation. It's so good. And did you also notice? <laughs> and Amazing. Did you further notice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that that kid. I hope that kid had a bright future ahead of him as a character actor because he deserves it for that <laughs> that performance alone. Yeah. So, long story short, they all end up in the pool. First, George and uh, and Mary. It's quite. It's really. I love the scene where they're dancing and everyone stops to watch them because they keep nearly falling in the pool and everyone sort of is screaming as they're getting closer to it and they just think they're sort of screaming for them. It's quite nice. Like yeah, yeah. I was I was halfway through that scene going. Everybody else is screaming in what I take to be terror, and they're just having an absolute whale of a time. But I like your interpretation of it more, which is which is that they're just like, hey, everybody thinks we are the absolute bomb. Yeah, yeah. Go, Georgie. Go, Georgie. Go, Georgie. Everyone's just losing their minds over it. and never yeah, seen just... moves like this. <laughs> <laughs> they're, if they're sharp, if you get cut, it's because they're sharp, right? <laughs> Yeah. I also like little moments in this. The old chap who's trying to get everyone out of the pool and then just jumps in again. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, just goes for it. I love that great. the two, the shifty kids that have made it happen have this wonderful little kind of little exchange <laughs> glance of like, oh, shall we do it as well? And they're just like, yeah, in we go. <laughs> so it ends with, uh, it ends with the uh, George and Mary walking, walking home and, uh, singing this song together. It's like a little sort of romantic walk. Uh, they start chucking stones at this this empty old house because if you if you break a window, you can make a wish. And um, there's this old guy on a porch watching them. And I love how this sort of subverts your expectations. He's watching them. You think, well, he's, he's going to give them an absolute bollock in here for this. He's going to stop smashing windows. And the only thing he shouts in the end is, you're not going to kiss her. <laughs> Yeah, and he actually walks off saying youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. And I was just like, absolutely. absolutely, flipping lootly. <laughs> this is the, the scene which is quite famous where he talks about sort of lassoing the moon and bringing it down for, for her as well. Oh, is this famous? I'd never heard of this. Loads of other mm. scenes in this I've definitely heard of, obviously. But, mm. um, but I'd never seen that one before. Yeah. I think there is a bit of this scene that has been cut. Um, it's a bit where they do a bit of... Um, the she she sort of her robe disappears and she has, has ends up hiding in a bush, mm. and um, and he has a they have a bit of like back and forth about giving it her back. Yeah, um, I think there might be a line which is now cut in the modern version where he basically asks her to come out of the bush first. Oh really? Like ah oh, no, he can't 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 be having that. No, <laughs> so yeah, we're not. This is the, a bounce too far. Yeah. So um, the um, yeah. So, so so luckily for George the. Uh, the, the the cab gets there 
one sentence earlier now. So um, this this cab turns up and and they they tell George he's got to come away straight straight away because he's um here comes something out of the blue. His dad's had a stroke and it turns out he's yeah. died. Wow. Boom. Goodness, yeah. I mean, guess that. Gutted for him to get like to get to get a son out the door from from high school. Literally the night he graduates from high school, the night you look forward to just kicking it back and. <laughs> And it turns out you're just a plot point in someone else's movie. Hmm. There you go. So um, George gives up his trip to Europe to to sort of temporarily run um, buildings and loans um, because of the sort of sudden shock of his dad's death. Um, then he's just about to go off to university and uh, Potter's on the board, of course, and he tries to dissolve the company. Of course he um, is, and of course he does. <laughs> Fucking hell. His idea of a, an appropriate tribute to somebody is to turn up and go, right, well, thank God he's gone. Anyway, my business aims. Let's talk. Yeah. He basically, yeah, he just sits in the boardroom, runs down the guy for, for sort of being too soft, and says, right, let's dissolve it. And in the end, the board vote against Potter. Potter. Because um, because George gives this inspirational speech. Oh, it's um, tremendous, isn't it? Because yeah. he looks. It's a classic Jimmy Stewart bit of work where he seems embarrassed to be saying it, but he also seems like he believes it enough that he doesn't care that he knows he's making a bit of a scene. And that combination just absolutely nails it to the back wall of the room. Just it's just it's lovely stuff. Yeah. And he gets through it again without pronouncing Potter. Potter. In that, the the, the <laughs> disdain that it deserves yeah but the thing is it's his his talent and his charisma that seals his fate here because the board vote to keep the company going but only if he sticks around and runs it Um, that's a bit he's on his way literally on his way out of town to go and have a journey his suitcase is packed and in his hand and they're like listen we'll only do the thing we'll only maintain (laughs) the legacy that your father built at great personal expense if you sacrifice all of your dreams immediately Hey, it's a, it's a small yeah. town feel good story. There's this there's this flimsy promise that Harry might come back after he goes to university and run the business. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, this is never never <laughs> happening. Not, Harry's not doing that, is he? Yeah. So um, Harry turns up on the train um, a few years later, and he's he's got married in a hurry. Um, and his wife's dad's offered him a job. I can imagine his wife's dad mentions this job, and the next day he's married the guy. <laughs> seen his way out. And who knows if this thing works out? See, maybe we can think about some uh, remuneration and employment for you, kid. You look good. Cut to ring, ring. They're married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's that avenue of escape closed off. Um, they have this party welcoming welcoming um, Harry back. It's it's funny the sort of Harry character that yeah. he sort of gets all the opportunities that George gives up, yeah. um, but there's never really any. There's I always I always expected some animosity to break out at some point or some resentment, but it never never happens. Which is well, that I mean, and that's the structure of the film, though, isn't it? Is that yeah. like George makes the kind of small regular sacrifices that nobody sees everybody relies on and 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 you know and it leads it leads him to this really dark place but that's the thing about the character is that before starting a fight with somebody he cares about he'd he you know he turned turn the necessary violence on himself which is what actually happens right two-thirds of the way through or before he meets clarence is that rather than say it's your fault or it's your fault or it's your fault he well i mean he, he goes to kill himself 
as mm. we've seen. So it's yeah, it's this really interesting. Again, I don't know who else could have done it apart from Jimmy Stewart. Because anybody else doing that, you'd be like, I don't know. It would just come off as a bit Ned Flanders, wouldn't it? Whereas mm. Jimmy Stewart can make it feel quite textured and quite good. Yeah. Um, we move into the part of the film where we have a couple of matchmaking mothers, which um, is never, never a bad thing. <laughs> it feels a little Pride and Prejudice as we're at Harry's party. George um, sort of steps out to have a bit of a break, and uh, and his mum comes out and says, "Hey, so I know Mary's still uh, still knocking about, and she's uh, available." And George is like, "Well, not that available." Because she's seeing this guy called Sam, she's, the Hee Haw guy. She's seeing she's seeing Mister Hee Haw, who's apparently one of my closest friends. <laughs> Imagine no, it. His mum, his mum's like, "Come on, it's the Hee Haw guy." <laughs> it's the Hee Haw guy. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to say this carefully. Hee Haw, the Hee Haw guy. Do you get what I'm saying? Come on, get a move on. Yeah. So, um, so she sort of nudges him in the direction of of, of Mary. Um, he decides to just take a walk into town instead. Um, and he meets this girl, Violet, who was the other girl in the drugstore, um, who is this sort of heartbreaker. And uh, she's got these couple of guys sort of on her arm. She's like, wait here a second. Cause <laughs> <it's just> like, <laughs> wait, cause Bailey's back? <laughs> Sod the two of you. <laughs> I love how dismissive she is. She's like, stay there, boys. I've just seen some. I've just, I've just seen a catch. I've just um, seen. I've just seen the better option. But wait, all right, don't go anywhere. She she suggests they go and do something, and he comes out with these ideas of you know like running through the fields under the moonlight up some mountain somewhere, and mm-hmm. she's like, well, I kind of had in mind a, a club or something like. That. I, was, I was honestly thinking that there'd be a lot more rum involved in it. To be honest with you, George. So cheers and no thanks. Yeah, it's a little bit heartbreaking. This he's so uh, sort of innocently excited, and then there's, within seconds he's surrounded by people laughing at him. At a yeah, like, what was that, curious. by the way? Like, did she did she set off the kind of like I need I need all the worldly wise of this town to come around and mock <laughs> this innocent rube alarm? Did she she send up the bat signal for wankers? Like, what happened there? <laughs> Yeah, well, there's not much going on in this town. So. <laughs> so everybody is just ready on an absolute hair trigger to find mm. somebody being a little bit winsomely overexposed. <laughs> quick, quick! We yeah. must gather and laugh. It is strange considering how sort of almost over the top the sort of the um, how overly friendly everybody is in this town for the most part. Yeah. It is strangely cruel that this happens. Here. <laughs> Yeah, on a number um, yeah. of points, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so he ends up visiting Mary, but by this point, he's in a foul mood. Um, Mary's been sort of excitedly waiting for him because, her mom, like George's mum's let let it slip that he might be on his way over. And it's kind of this is this is really sad. She's got the Buffalo Gals song on, which they were singing that night. Oh. She's got this picture of him lassoing the moon. She's coming out with all these things to remind him of that night, and he's just so busy, like in his own head, like fed yeah. up. Um, yeah. Which is unlike the character so far. That yeah. she just, yeah, it just ends up being a bit of a disaster. This meeting. Yeah, yeah, she just basically ends up being like balls to you, and it doesn't help that her mother is hanging over the banisters, going, <laughs> "Why are you talking to this useless fool? A rich man is on the phone. Speak to the rich man who's close friends with the fool in the house. Can he hear me? 
Good. <laughs> Get him to leave. Mom, the rich man's the hee-haw guy. Do I need to say any more? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. He's got millions of those hee-haws. Get on the phone. <laughs> so, yeah, he George leaves and, and poor old Mary's got to call the hee-haw guy back. Um, she does that after, before, not before smashing the Buffalo Girls record, which I quite like, the sort of just a little bit of vandalism. Um, and then there's this phone call to Sam. George come back, comes back in to get his hat. And they both. <laughs> oh, it's of, a great fake out, isn't it? She's on the phone with him and she's sort of like, oh, yeah, all right, who are you? And then he walks back in and she's like, oh, he came. And he's like, getting my hat. Storms through, picks it up somewhere else. Yeah, but he doesn't storm out. He sort of, he gets the heart and then decides to listen in on the phone call um, (laughs) because Mary sort of brings him in. I don't know if this is a sort of a desperate attempt from Mary to try and sort of put off Sam by saying there's another bloke who's just come round. But um, they end up both on the phone. Sam offers George this investment opportunity in a plastics factory. And George is like, I'm not in the mood for this. I'm too far too fed up to contemplate a bit of entrepreneurialism and also he starts to get more and more distracted by how close he is to Mary. <laughs> it's it's a good of... reason though, isn't it? Like I do <laughs> I do like that they set up that little dichotomy, that moment where he can either choose, you know, massive wealth, what mm. he's gonna become massive wealth obviously in the twentieth century, uh, or his wife, his wife to be, and he chooses his wife to be and it's the, it is this lovely little kind of setup of like I literally can't hear the riches because I'm so caught up in this woman. Mm. Ah, that was lovely. Yeah, and then you sort of smash cut to wedding day. Boom! <laughs> they do not mess around. The thing is, in the forties, they actually it would happen like that, wouldn't it? You'd be like, <laughs> yeah. "Shall we get married?" And four days later, you know, there you'd be done. Yeah, and uh, they've got. I mean. He's, he's got he's got a wedge of cash here, which has been um, dropped on him to go and enjoy his honeymoon. Finally, things are looking up. Um, beautiful, beautiful wife, loving marriage. What a cash! What Travel the world off to the off to honeymoon. But hang on a minute, what's that? What's that over by the bank? It's only it, Black Friday coming to ruin your life. Is it events, Matt? Events have presented <laughs> themselves. Yeah, so um, everyone's losing their mind um, over trying to withdraw the money because the stock market's tanking in um, what was what would become this historic um, event in world economics. Um, George has to convince the people who've got money in buildings and loans not to take it out, and they end up spending their honeymoon because they can't get any money from the banks, the other banks. They had to spend their honeymoon cash on just keeping people going. And keeping yeah. the business running, yeah. And um, I quite like the sort of rich tapestry of customers they've got as well, from yeah. the ones who are pretty much straight away on the oh yeah, let's all work together, keep you going, and the yeah. guy who arrives saying he wants his two hundred and fifty quid and leaves with his two hundred and fifty quid, yeah, <laughs> despite yeah, all very the speeches much. in the world. Listen, I don't owe anybody any charity. All right. Yes, I invested in a mutual fund. Yes, I signed an agreement saying that I would wait 60 days before withdrawing. But come along. I'm the sort of guy that talks like this. 250 quid, please. Yeah. And it, it's, I, tell you, I tell you what I loved in this scene as well, is um, when he finally decides to use the money, they finally decide to use the money. It's his wife that comes up and waves this massive wadge of cash. Yeah. So 
rather so it doesn't set up this idea of he's chosen the people over his wife there's actually this i find that i found it genuinely really really touching this thing of like she's married him and she gets the way he ticks and Mm. and like they decide to be to be part of that community together even though it means sacrificially doing doing something that robs them of a, of a honeymoon for heaven's sake you know what i mean like it's a big sacrifice but it's that that sense of doing something good together and mm. i found that that got me that was proper proper feels there for me it was really lovely yeah and this continues later on in, in in at the end of sort of the black friday trading day i think again one of the things i like about the film is how it does keep surprising you and going in directions you don't expect him so as i said with the brother you expect there to be some animosity at some point because he's getting all the opportunities because of all these sacrifices george is making but never happens and yeah you you would expect a lazier film george mary would be one of the characters who at some point says come on there's a limit to what you can be doing for other people you're not giving me enough attention this that and the other but she's always right alongside him um, for this sort of altruistic streak. If anything, yeah. she helps bring that out of him rather than try to suppress it. That's um, an that's actually, a really excellent read. That actually, yeah, I think that's really true. I tell you, the other thing that I really loved at the end of this, the, the the resolution of this scene is that he basically gives a fifty word summary of how the banking system works or doesn't work. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Like that whole thing of, you know, the, your money's not here. It's in his house, in his house, in his house, in his house. And we built the houses together and that's what a mutual is. Mm. And so having lived through a, an economic crisis um, already in my adulthood, um, I, I could have done with some of that sort of, that whoever the scriptwriter was for that, they should have put him on the financial desk of the papers because it was that <laughs> that sort of, look, this is why it's bad. This is how it works. This is how we can get through it. Don't panic. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I just thought that was a great little bit of script writing. Yeah, and it, it, the added pressure, um, if if Black Friday wasn't bad enough, one of the sort of sharks circling is Potter, who's trying Potter. to buy up as much as he can, Potter. <laughs> and um, yeah, between them, sort of largely through sort of the ingenious idea of, of Mary to, to, to put their own money up, and George's sort of charismatic speeches and just sort of a bit of dumb luck, just holding on for six o'clock for the end of the day. They managed to get through it. I thought, yeah, like yeah. you just said, it, it's good that yeah. the this they managed to, you just about get, a, get, get an idea of what's happening and why here, even if you don't really know the history of, of Black Friday. And that's a real achievement because it's quite a complicated yeah. thing that happened. And it's not easy to understand why, you know, why are they waiting for six o'clock? Why does it matter if they close the doors? It's because if you close them, you're not going to open them again. The banks yeah. will be yeah, and and I particularly like how how quickly they sort of presented it to um, like presented the fact that what it gives is an opportunity to sort of vulture capitalists, as we would call them these days. You know, the Potter character who sees nothing but opportunity and is so when he's saying. I'll buy, I'll back people's money at 50 cents on the dollar. What he's saying is, I'm going to buy that savings and loan company for 50% of what it's worth. And, Mm. and he's just out to, to strip, strip the assets and, and exercise control. And I, and again, it Mm. it like presents that with his really incredible economy, really, I thought. Yeah. Um, So they, they do get through the day 
but at the end of it, they're sort of they're all, all celebrating, and then George realizes that Mary isn't there anymore. She's wandered off, and he's and again you're thinking, oh, here comes a here comes a row. He's he's spent yeah, sort of exactly, all, yeah. all day when they were supposed to be going on honeymoon. It's it sort of it leads you by the nose in that direction, but um, but yeah. no, Mary is is sort of decided to create their own honeymoon with the help of uh, a couple of the uh, a couple of friends uh and they've got this old the old building that they used to throw stones through um she's sort of done it all out it becomes their house and uh and she and he he goes along to sort of see her that evening and they spend the honeymoon evening there and it was a uh, you got Bert and Ernie are the two friends Bert and Ernie the, cop, the cops the, yeah it's the cop, oh. it's the cop and the taxi driver yeah wonderful um, I'm yeah. so happy. I was so happy when that happened. I don't know if I don't know if Sesame Street named the characters after those two guys, but I sort of hope <laughs> that they did because that was yeah. great. Yeah, I, I did like that the setup for this scene though, like the outro to this scene. Where is she? Oh, she set up a new house in a house I didn't know about. Implies <laughs> that that his wife has gone in an era where women basically didn't have legal rights to own anything without their husbands knowing about it, and has purchased a large house in the middle of a banking crisis in a single day. <laughs> I really appreciate yeah. That's how you know it's a Christmas fantasy right there. She, she's she's a secret vulture capitalist. She's seen the, <laughs> she's seen the price go through the floor. The next town <laughs> over is called Mrs. Baileyville, and they all curse her toes. Yeah, no wonder she's so chilled out about the money. She's, <laughs> she's like, listen, babe, it's like towards the end of Breaking Bad, isn't it, when there's literally... <laughs> You wait when there's just a lot of money knocking around, and she's just like, "Babe, don't worry about it. We got, we got this. We, we you know, we're fine." Yeah. No, I always, I was assumed that she'd, um, that they didn't even own the house at the moment. It's just some empty old shell, and they just, they just come to buy it later. And this is just a sort of surprise that she's done. Oh, okay, okay, all right. That makes a lot more sense, I suppose. Yes. Thank you it's for also- keeping me in the fantasy. <laughs> we scroll through the years a bit. Buildings and Loans is actually going really well after it survives. Um, it's making these like nice homes for a good price. There's this guy called Mr. Martini, who's basically sort of Super Mario. Who's Mr. Absolutely Martini, who owns a bar, by the way. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, he gets he, he sort of moves into his his new house. It's 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 a really again with real economy. It shows you just the impact that George is having. And even though he sort of ran down his dad's business at the start in terms of sort of a lack of ambition, he is sort of just changing people's lives here. Um, yeah, and- yeah, exactly. And that, and it's that again, that thing of like quietly doing what's good for the people around you has this kind of multiplicative effect, which is one of the mm-hmm. big messages of the of the film. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just it's this really really lovely thing. Mm. Uh, Sam the hee-haw guy shows up for a gloat. Uh, he's, he's, he's check <laughs> and I love that he and his wife are like George and his wife are both like kind of oh god, it's Mister Hee-haw. Yeah, all right, hello. <laughs> so but busy busy building up the community here, Mister Fucking Plastics. Just wait. <laughs> there is a certain sort of type of successful businessman that is like. Has has they've all, even from childhood have always been a bit sort of hard work, but they sort yeah. of they but they make a success and then you please for them, but they're still sort of hard work. They're still in exactly the same way. Doesn't matter how much you've got in the bank, you just yeah 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 yeah. Well done, he haw. Yeah. Just give us a sec. <laughs> Again, he is um he haw guy. 
it could easily be sort of a dark character, but but never is. Yeah. Like it's yeah. kind of, he actually comes good at the end and really helps out. And he's there's never any there's a little bit of sort of there's a little bit of a gloating edge to him, but there's never really any malice with him. And he's a nice enough guy. Exactly that. And actually that is something that I notice whenever I do watch like the older films like this. And I think this is a really good example of the genre, obviously. But in general, I feel like they had more nuanced characters. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you, you had a character who could be, I mean, a really tertiary character, really. He doesn't get any character development or anything, but he's well sketched and he's got a thing, but his thing doesn't reduce him to therefore he's going to be like this and this and this and this as well like the fact that he's a bit annoying and rich doesn't mm. add up to he you know he's secretly a bastard um yeah. it's just it's just yeah just n- nuanced i suppose or you can have a broader range of characters you don't have to have everybody in the in the bin marked wonderful person or awful human or cipher or the one character you're allowed in the modern film which is the trickster the person that's going to kind of maybe can be trusted maybe can't be trusted um but you only get one character who's like that and they always have a dark side whereas here it's just like yeah it feels like a properly populated little town doesn't it because of that yeah it sort of goes for realism over um over what sort of you expect from dramas because i think yeah in especially sort of deck for decades now dramas have the certain rules that you sort of see again and again as we've said you know the uh so the guy's got a successful brother um because of his sacrifices well they're going to fall out at some point because that's where the drama is um is is isn't it actually thinking about it it's it's the soap operification of actually really high budget fiction is like it's because you need to get to the dramatic thing you need to get to the ad break on a high so people will come back afterwards like Mm. you need to just you know characters are secondary to this structure of constant drama whereas this does something a bit different yeah yeah yeah. and i think that's one of the reasons maybe it's one of the reasons it's so loved yeah and you see it again and again like we said with the you know he's got this streak of helping people and sacrificing which will impact on his wife well obviously his wife's going to resent that because that's where the drama is he's got this rich friend who's sort of who's a bit sort of clumsy as well well obviously they'll fall out at some point because that's where the drama is but the yeah they, they sort of swerve around it which is which is great yeah um, yeah so yeah sam turns up he does <laughs> they're happy to see him but also like george is just sort of reminded of the fact that there's another opportunity he's missed there he could have got in on the ground floor and been fabulously wealthy as well and yeah. um mary could be wearing all those jewels that sam's wife is but they're not they've got just a crap car and he ends up yeah. kicking the door and you're just seeing this I, sort of yeah. th- these missed opportunities just beginning to weigh him down absolutely and like and particularly because they're they're opportunities he's missed largely because he's decided to do something good for other people something that's yeah. good for others um and you know the kind of weight of the consequences of that but you know sacrifice isn't just a word you kick around sacrifice is actually involve losing things and mm. so you so and that's what he's that's what he's seeing and experiencing here which i thought mm. was was really moving also uh, have you seen by the way have you seen breaking bad before i go off on a whole riff oh yeah 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 right so so there's a by the way i'm two episodes from the end so don't tell me don't don't tell me oh the end. great i know i know finally right um all it took was a pandemic uh for me to be inside uh uh binge watching but Never there, thought there that is... spaceship had come in at the end but <laughs> oh come on man you're <laughs> killing me i just <sighs> right fine i'll go i won't tell my wife what happens um <laughs> um 
But as actually, there's a weird parallel again with Breaking Bad a little bit in that part of what happens to that character in that thing is that he had this, you know, big business relationship. We find out really early on in the series, this big business relationship that could have made him a billionaire, which he he sold his way out of. And in that narrative, it it causes him to do, to be driven to do things which are objectively monstrous at a lot mm. of points, right? And... I just never thought of Breaking Bad as the anti "It's a Wonderful Life" before, but actually, I think there's something in that. <laughs> it's a miserable life. The miser- it's it's a terrible life. <laughs> um, so then we move over to to Potter's Potter's office, and, and it, I'm a little disappointed there wasn't sort of uh, some lightning and a boom, boom, boom. Move into the office. He's got this sort of. Account, is it an accountant or a lawyer with him who's saying, uh, or surveyor it might be? Yeah. He's saying, oh, buildings. He's going like, Master, buildings and buildings <laughs> is getting too big. <laughs> I have identified new opportunities for evil. <laughs> Your potteriness. <laughs> Lord Potter, I come with news. <laughs> yeah, this guy's basically saying, look. You can't laugh. They can't laugh at buildings and loans anymore. They might be sort of small fry, but they're starting to take up a big proportion of your business. So yeah, well, and they're making loads of people happy uh, by moving them out of your rent slums. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell you, Matt, the more things change, eh? Um, Mm. And it's this really. I again, I really love this thing of like just with quiet decency, he's actually managed to establish to change the trajectory of his community. Um, by enabling people to do stuff that they would otherwise just have been exploited out of. And mm. again, the feels, the feels. Yeah, so Potter comes up with a dastardly plan, which isn't particularly cunning. It's basically buy him off. Yeah. So he gets, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, why would I be dastardly when I could just be rich? Here you go, have some money. Yeah. That's, the, so he... that's the American story right there, isn't it? <laughs> so he gets George round, says, come on. Um, have 20k have, have a fabulously well-paid job working for me for three years you can have some foreign trips so it sort of sort of sells in the world um offers him, him offers him sort of all the opportunities he, he wants basically everything he's wanted professionally yeah all he needs to do is just sell everyone he's ever cared about down the river exactly um, i will i will give you i will give you this and all the kingdoms of the world if you throw yourself down on these stones yeah. turn this stone into bread it is it's great isn't it and this little bit as well this is in home alone this is this scene is in home alone in french and i was like this is very in keeping with the way i encounter classic classic art which is backwards where i've seen the home alone rip and then i see this and i'm like oh it's the bit where he says oh no no oh no Amazing! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. When they're watching it in the, in Flor- in when they're all on when they're in France, yeah, yeah. yeah, like they're all bored in the hotel room watching it's a it's a wonderful life dubbed in French. That is a joke, Matt, which I think I would have found really funny if I'd watched the movies in the other order. As it was, it was just like, <laughs> why is that black and white man angry in French? <laughs> yeah. So George sort of considers it at first and is trying to work out what to do because it is a tempting offer. Yeah. And in the end, it's sort of. It's the clammy handshake that tips him over the edge. And there's something almost darkly funny about how he, he takes the handshake and then just blows up and like practically <laughs> starts trashing his office with his anger. <laughs> it is amazing. He's like kind of, yes, I think we have a deal. Let's shake hands in the traditional way of noting a deal. 
you know what? Fuck all of this. <laughs> Starts flipping tables. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so then we move into a sort of a montage bit. It's sort of seasons change, times go by. Is that another That's... Frank Sinatra track? Is it? <laughs> so he's um, he has a he has a few kids. Uh, him and him and Mary have a few kids. Um, the Second World War happens. And Harry sort of becomes a hero because he's a fighter pilot and he saves this transport full of troops um, by shooting this plane down. Um, George, again, is because of his hearing, because of sort of saving his brother's life all the way back when, he's, uh, he's sidelined a bit. He has to stay at home. Um, he does the sort of, you see him, you basically have Harry getting all the sort of heroics and a few of the other members of, um, of, the, of the town and what, what they achieved. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a sort of a rosy picture of the Second World War. No one I was going to say, sort of well, maybe it was like that in small town America. We don't know. Like, I yeah. think it is an interesting difference, isn't it, between the sort of the British experience and the American experience of the Second World War, where, uh, you know, great sacrifices obviously made uh, in America and by Americans, but they weren't getting bombed every night. So it's all kind of happening somewhere else and it's still mm. kind of quite sunny. Um, so I think as two Brits watching it, we're like, really? Second World War? That's your Second World War montage? Is, is that? Oh, all right. Cool, cool, mm. cool, cool. Not many food shortages there. Well, they're fine. No no worries. Yeah. But it's certainly presented as as George really missed out on going. There's no yeah. relief that, you know, from presumably from yeah, Mary's point God of I view, didn't that die. he didn't go. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, he's sort of stuck doing the, like, Dad's Army stuff, making sure, you know, the home front's going and doing yeah. things like rubber drives. Yeah. Um, and then there's this great fanfare because Harry's coming home um, and he's a decorated war hero now he's got his picture in the paper and again it's really sweet because George is just bursting with pride and he's running down the street with the paper showing everybody it, yeah. again it just speaks really well to his character yeah and I love that the phone call that comes through where he's talking to his talking to his brother about it and they want to know like what did you eat what did they serve you to eat at the White House what was that like because there is there is a little tiny bit of that um that I thought I would be exactly the same like what is it even what do you do I mean was it was there, was there ketchup on the table yeah okay we have come to the part in the film that is known as well I know it as the eight grand fiasco the eight um, grand fiasco. Yeah. Yeah. In what happens here, I have to in say. bold. Because I wondered whether I missed like a little <laughs> chunk of something. Is the plot just that his uncle is such an irredeemable rube that eight grand just goes missing? Or does he, was my copy missing a scene? He did, yeah, the eight grand goes missing in almost a magician, like as if as if Uncle Billy is doing some kind of like child, child, child's mad children's magic so he's so the way what happens is uncle billy goes down to the bank with eight grand to put yeah. in to pay in um he's getting ready to put it in potter shows up and B- billy can't sort of he can't resist a bit of a gloat so he goes and sort of shows potter the paper and then places without, without thinking about it places the eight grand inside the paper and then gives the paper to Potter and wanders <laughs> off. <laughs> P- Potter looks down, creams in his trousers, just can't believe his luck. <laughs> Smiling like a pig in shit. 
oh, what's what's this? You see, when you're rich, you don't even have to make dastardly plans. You don't even have to buy your own success. You just have to wait for the idiot uncle of your major moral counterpart to give you all of their money. Yeah, Uncle Billy. What Uncle Billy. What's the what's the opposite of MVP? LVP. Uncle Billy (laughs) LVP. LVP, 1946, Uncle Billy. (laughs) Till forever. (laughs) Yeah, disaster. So the problem is, of course, the eight grand goes missing. It's just at a time where some guys come round to audit the accounts. Naturally. And you can't have, you know, eight grand just disappearing off the books. And that's why (laughs) people are going to go to jail for this. uh, It looks like George has basically just nicked the money and spent it. Especially when... He's sort of in front of everybody, like walks out of this office with Violet and he's given her some money to sort of start her up in New yeah. York. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, there's all these, yeah. you can see how an uncharitable person like Potter later on yeah. could put together a narrative that this guy's just been creaming money off. Yeah, because um, because nobody because surely nobody's stupid enough to mislay eight grand. Eight grand. Surely nobody, Uncle Billy, could be stupid <laughs> enough, Billy, to mislay Bill $8,000. Billy? I just kept hearing Paddy from Phoenix Nights just going, eight grand. Eight grand. <laughs> eight grand. <laughs> but, but he's got eight grand. I didn't even notice that. That's amazing. Between that and a sort of nefarious, mostly seated character called Potter, I wonder if Peter <laughs> Kay watched quite a lot of It's a Wonderful Life and that sort of oh, yeah. leached its way over. Yeah, certainly the Potter. Yeah, I didn't think about the other Potter. As, exactly. As yeah, the third yeah. great Potter in the in the popular culture <laughs> universe. <laughs> I'm certainly going re- to imagine him as Brian Potter now. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly it, isn't it? <laughs> Kids love Potter. They're like, they're mad for it, Jerry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we've got we've got a major problem here. Um, a George might go to jail for this, and the company's finished. Kind yeah. of problem. Yeah, um, and so and so the town is now in a single stroke back in the pocket of the mm. guy that's been trying to. Yeah, oh, oh, horrible. Yeah, and it is just down to this thundering moment of idiocy from his <laughs> from his uh, his uncle. But yeah. I, I, I suppose if you were gonna be, if you were gonna be harsh to George, is your uncle really the guy? To, I mean, throughout the film, he's got drunk. <laughs> he's, he's obviously he's been a liability throughout the film. We've not really touched on it, but he has. So is he the guy you should be trusting with the cash? Yeah. Has he presented himself as taking the money to the bank? Material <laughs> is that of all the people, you, how bad are your other employees such that you're looking at Uncle Harry going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our livelihood, his hands, once every seven days, not a problem. <laughs> I'd have got the uh, the guy who turns up later as the barman um, in uh, in the in the Martini's bar. I'd have got him to handle the cash because Nick, no one Nick the barman, him. one of my favourite characters in this. By the oh, way, but we'll yeah. come to it. Yeah, by far and away my favourite character. I cannot wait till he shows up. A criminally underused character. Absolutely. But, um, that is the only thing. That is that is the, my biggest criticism of this film. Is, is this Nick the Barman? Nick the barman. <laughs> He's underused. <laughs> criminally underused. Criminally um, underused Nick the Barman. I want a spin-off series. <laughs> um, so we so George goes home. 
and he this is sort of weighing really heavily on him he's desperate um there's this moment again this is quite a famous sort of scene or sort of picture and it's often on the um <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't put it on the dvd cover but it's the one that sort of shows you the the sort of breadth and depth of the film where Ooh. he's sort of desperately hugging his son and yeah. um sort of just he, he just he just does jimmy stewart just does the perfect example of just desperate at the yeah, end of your role. Really does, doesn't he? I noticed that part of the way that was telegraphed, by the way, in the sort of character design, was that he's clean shaven when he leaves the bank, but by the time he gets home, <laughs> having had his world fall apart, he's got a five o'clock shadow on the go. It's the only time in the only time in the film that he's anything less than perfectly shaven is the moment where he needs to seem a little bit raggedy around the edges, and I love nice. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um I love his kids. Just the little sort of sketches of these children, yeah. like um the the one especially the, the youngest that's following him round. <clears throat> it's following him round like tugging on his on his shirt, saying "Excuse me, excuse me," and he turns around and goes "What? What?" He goes "I burped." <laughs> 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 that that is a line written by a man who had children in his house when he was writing it. That that's how that went down. I'll tell you. Yeah, and this um, <clears throat> the little girl upstairs uh, as well, who's uh, who's obsessed with this flower, and it's just really cute. And he ends up taking a couple of petals, um, pretending to sort of fix the flower and hiding them in his pocket, and that becomes yeah. important later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he's sort of he's on edge throughout this, and he's he's short tempered, and he sort of loses it towards the end of this scene. Is he's really angry that his his daughter's got you know been is sick because she's been sent home without a coat, yeah. and uh, the teacher rings up, and he gives her both barrels, and then her um her husband calls back and he gives him both barrels as well. All the time, Mary's just sort of mortified and trying to apologise because yeah. this isn't sort of how you handle things, um, yeah. particularly in this this age as well where yeah, you need yeah. a decent reputation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, he hits rock bottom by he kind of smashes up a bit of the house, yeah. um, in front of his kids and upsets everybody, and leaves. And yeah, this is this is rock bo- this is rock bottom, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's I found this scene. I mean, you, you know it's coming because you know what it's a wonderful life is about. Um, if only because the slightly glowy galaxies have told you what it's about at the, uh, the start <laughs> of the movie. Um, but. Um, but I did find this really quite upsetting, and it, I could absolutely see how Jimmy Stewart goes from doing this clean cut everyman stuff to making a load of movies with Alfred Hitchcock later in his career, where mm. he he just makes these kind of like psychological thriller, chiller horror movies, um, which are about you know the kind of breakdown of American decency, basically. And mm. you can totally see it because this scene just absolutely lands, and it was really like yeah, again, it really made me uncomfortable actually in a quite a surprising way mm. so now we're now we're actually back at the start of the film so everyone's praying for him as um as he as he leaves he goes to potter potter, potter. Uh, <clears throat> in his desperation and says look eight thousand pounds has gone missing can you loan it me um i've got he's basically got nothing to offer um and potter just enjoys just just takes a few moments to enjoy being his suffering yeah yeah just yeah. To enjoy being fully on top again yeah. um he laughs off the the fact that he's got a 15 grand life insurance which is more valuable than his life now um and, that, and then, that's and i actually think that's a really well 
well formulated line a really yeah. good way of presenting the sort of like how awful this character is but not just the character but his sort of worldview and the way he constructs his morality is to say you're only worth what these bits of paper tell about you and that's mm. the way I'm that's the way I run things and it's another nice little kind of uh crystallization of the sort of threat that this character has presented to the whole town all the way through the film is this idea that you're only worth what I make off of you. Uh, you're only worth dollars and cents, and that's it. And mm. and it just all culminates in this line, which literally drives the man out of the door to suicide. Yeah, and I think also it's just useful having that final incentive yeah. to, to George that makes you understand how someone who has such support yeah. um, emotionally... Yeah can be driven to to that sort of extent at this really really cleverly done um but yeah he ends by dying the following the police basically and again potter accuses um accuses george of basically spending the money himself um basically i think largely because that's exactly the way it would have happened with potter that's, that's how what potter would have done trouble. yeah exactly yeah. if the yeah. eight grand was ever found to be missing from potter's bank it would be because potter had decided to go to the bahamas yeah yeah he's been creaming some some cash off to spend on uh, on booze and women absolutely but, um, but yeah so he calls the police so so george runs and he says you know there's no way you can hide in the town this small okay here we go martini's bar He's on the way. He's like Father Christmas. It's the, it's the greatest character in the film. He's <laughs> bartender Nick. Um, Listen, say, great... I'm a bartender. Say, in a 40s movie. Say, and that's the way I'm going to play it. Say. His best lines come a little later when Clarence turns up. Absolutely. But, um, but it's, a, it's a strong first scene for Nick. Um, this is... <laughs> George lets slip who he is, and it just so happens that the guy sitting next to him is the teacher that he um, he gave both barrels to a couple of scenes ago. So um, yeah, this this teacher punches him in the face. There's a big there's a big scrap. Um, Mr. Martini's sort of promising that this teacher's never coming in again because he's you know he's backing he's backing his best guy. Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> George heads off. Drunkenly drives into a tree, has a row with a, a guy whose tree it is outside the outside his house. <laughs> I like American movies where where in the from the forties where alcohol plays a part in the plot, and what that <laughs> means is that you can sit down, sip one whiskey, have a fight, and then drive into a tree. That's how alcohol works for a certain kind <laughs> of North America. <laughs> so it was yeah. great. Yeah, so he goes to so and he ends up at this bridge. George, you think he's thinking this is it? He's looking down at the waves. And it's time for Clarence to intervene. And um, Clarence throws himself into the water. So George dives in after him to save him um, and therefore saves himself. Yeah. And um, they end up sort of drying the clothes in this in this room. And, um, and sort of, yeah, Clarence gives him the sort of rundown of the plot so far. Yes. And I very much want to describe Clarence as the MVP. And don't get me wrong. Team Klaz for life, right? I'm here with him. But it's not exactly MVP behaviour to... You're like, you're here to save somebody from killing himself and you actually make yourself the reason he jumps off the bridge in the final analysis. That seems <laughs> That is a high-stakes play from Angel Second Class Clarence, Clarence Oddbody. I mean, it works, yeah. so fair play, yeah. but I, is he in a sort of all-or-nothing type headspace? 
with this? Is he yeah. like, listen, I've done this so many times. What's going to, I don't know, jump in myself. Off we go. Yeah, to stick with our previous heist analogy, this is going in through the front door, isn't it? <laughs> it, is. it absolutely is. He's got a plan and he's getting away. Brilliant. Yeah, he's not disabled the security alarm. He's just going to deal with he whatever. He does happens. not care. Mask on face, shotgun in hand, chips fall where they may. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Good Clarence. Good so, Clarence. <laughs> so, um,. Obviously, George is just thinks this guy's a bit nuts, and he um, he's just saved a a guy who's sort of you know just got a bit nuts from dr- from drowning. Doesn't believe that Clarence is an angel, surprisingly enough. <laughs> yeah, um, reasonably. I love that Clarence doesn't try and hide it. Other films with with a sort mm-hmm. of secret, you know, otherworldly character, um, you know, they hide it. The whole thing is, you know, entertaining angels unawares, right? But um, but but Clarence is just really casually like, yeah, no, I'm an angel. Yeah, no, I'm, no, of course I haven't got my wings. Second class, isn't it? Like he's not only revealing his true nature, he's also giving us quite a lot of inside information, Kremlinology, on how it actually works to be an angel. You know, the secret yeah. information behind the scenes. Just very casually. And one begins to get a sense of why it might be that Clarence has had to wait for so long to get those wings. <laughs> I like when Clarence says that he's second class as well. George's response is like, oh, yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. That's the kind right. of angel I <laughs> <laughs> It's such a good joke they do it twice because he, he has this little muted response, which is clearly so good that the director's like, we're using that one. That is really funny. He goes, yeah, it sounds about right. That's all the line I need. And then you've got the producer with the massive cigar going, listen, see, the kids at the back, they're not going to get it. See, you got to shoot it again, see? And Capra, Frank Capra's just like, right, sod it. I'm putting them both in. Don't care. They're, we're doing it twice. And so they do the same joke 10 seconds later, just bigger. And he goes, I'm an angel, second class. And Stuart goes, yes, it figures that you would be. Look at camera. And then <laughs> and keep going. I do love the fact that also in this, a number of points, there are just jump cuts where they refilm a scene and it's just in. Yeah. Is that a jump cut? It's just staying in. Yeah, sod it. Same same thing, whatever. Should we cut away stock footage, something about the scenery, (laughs) external establishing? Nah. Camera move two inches to the left, get used to it. Yeah, this isn't digital editing. We don't have the time. There's a jump cut. He's staying in. Yeah. It's the 40s. Come on. Um, So, yeah. So, we got. So, basically, the plan is to show George what the world would be like without him if he was never born. So, we go to what is now Pottersville. (laughs) It's a great start. (laughs) That's it. It's like, oh. Oh, I love how long it takes it takes George to get his head around this as well. Like, like he's yeah. like Clarence says in so many words. Fine, you were never born, and then he runs <laughs> out, and the place is called Pottersville. And I suppose what I'm saying is, I've seen Back to the Future, and why hasn't George Bailey here? Because <laughs> yeah. that's it, isn't it? This is Back to the Future, but with Jimmy Stewart in it. Yeah, it's interesting that this is where it becomes most like a Christmas Carol, isn't it? Sort of. Oh yeah, we're, very we're, much. We're in, a, yeah. we're in sort of ghost of Christmas future, I suppose. Here, yeah. um, well, there's it's sort of melded with Christmas past as well, um, and present. So it's Christmas everything. But um, but the, the crucial difference being that he can interact with everything around him. So unlike in a Christmas Carol, where everything's happening and Scrooge is just a, an invisible just ghost watching, watching yeah. it. George is taking part in it 
Um, yeah. He can speak to he can speak to people. He can grab people. He can try and sort of yeah. ask. He can ask questions of people, and that's an interesting change. Absolutely. Well, and you have to do that though, don't you? Because the character is so defined by the relationships in his community around him and all these connections. It would be meaningless if he was just drifting through and everybody was going, "Oh man, I wish we had somebody called George Bailey who was here who could help with everything." <laughs> like that would be really weird. Mm. Whereas because he's he's made all of his decisions for the good of the people with whom he is in relationship, you know, to whom he is a neighbor, like then he goes and, and encounters all these people and they're all just, they're, none of them are monsters. Some of them are monsters. None of them are monsters really, but they're just like, they're all just a considerably worse, not just their circumstances, mm. but sort of who they are as people. They're less yeah. charitable. They're less meaningful. They're less engaged with each other. They're less, their lives are less good in a way that I, you know, none of them could ever change individually. But the absence of one person in the middle of them all and all those relationships um, shows why. And their responses to George when he goes around grabbing them also show why. <laughs> with one exception. Mm. With one exception. Let mm. me take you to what is now Nick's bar. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is doing much better out of it. Thank you very much. This guy, yeah, is living his best life now. <laughs> he's running the bar. He's cracking jokes. He's just—he's the he's... boss. He's not—he's not the "I am your humble servant, sir. Let me polish a glass and listen to your sorrows" type barman. He's like, "I am the big bollocks behind this bar. When I talk, you listen. That's how this bar works. All right. And if you don't like it." You can go to one of the other CD bars, but I'll tell you, you're not going to get half the crack. So, <laughs> I was talking to this guy, see? <laughs> Some of the best lines in the film here. The, the, th- the one about, you know, this is a, what is it like? We serve hard liquor or hard men. We don't need any characters around here. <laughs> we don't need any characters around here. I have all the character anybody would ever need, see? <laughs> And my favourite one, where he, where he sort of threatens, is it threatening Clarence or George with his mm. fist? And he goes, I'll slip you my left as a convincer. <laughs> <laughs> as a convincer. That, that is up there for me with the first time you used, when we did, um, uh, when we did uh, the Song of Ice and Fire and you described Sir Barristan Selmy, this old knight, really like really kicking ass and you just you just said it is like at the start of this scene barristan regulates <laughs> that regulates and as a convincer are my two like a grade god tier ways of talking about physical violence <laughs> yeah amazing so yeah uh, the problem is clarence is obviously um <laughs> a little bit away with the fairies because he is one <laughs> um, oh, this is an angel. So, uh, and he's, he's not the kind of character that was really going to survive very long in this bar, in this tough, tough sort of shady bar. Yeah. Runs afoul of Nick. Um, they end up getting thrown out. Not before they come across Old Man Gower, who's the guy who ran the drugstore. Uh, and yeah. in this reality, he did accidentally poison that kid. So yeah. he's a he's a pariah, and that's yeah. another example of of someone who whose life is obviously falling apart without George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they leave the bar. 
it ends with like the last scene in the bar Nick's sort of surrounded by people like everyone laughing and he's opening the till going look I'm creating angels because the guy said every time a bell rings there's an angel so he's opening the till closing it laughing his head off <laughs> everyone's st- it could be the final scene of a different film <laughs> it could be couldn't it actually that would be really dark I know I think is this a Mark Kermode story I think this might be a Mark Kermode story I've heard I know a story of somebody who uh, grew up with a bad recording of It's a Wonderful Life with a videotape gave out just before, like around this point. <laughs> before and the redemption. Before the redemption. So every, so so they just thought their whole life, they were like, why does everybody say this is the greatest feel-good movie? It's horrible. It's just awful. <laughs> so depressing. Yeah, it is. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, we should do that with like other films that other if, films. You, if you end too early. Films you end thing. too early, that's an amazing <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we then move into sort of a little tour of sleazy Potterville. Um, far fewer buildings and loans, cooperatives, co- cooperatives, far more sort of strip clubs. Um, there's there's a bit where Violet's getting sort of arrested because you kind of get the impression someone sort of tried to assault her and she's fought back and she's been blamed. Um, <sighs> Once again, we, we fall into the 1940s on the sharp edge with a bump there, don't we? Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah let's definitely play that as a, as a cameo scene. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. There's this cab driver, Ernie, who's um, this grumpy guy now because his wife's left him. And he owns this sort of tiny shack because he couldn't afford anything better because buildings and loans has never existed, or at least doesn't exist now. Um, there's an attempted arrest from Bert because um, he's uh, <laughs> George goes to his old house and uh, first he sort of he sort of he's sort of like wandering around it because it's still just a you know a shell. And uh, and the, the the Bert tries to arrest him, and in the end, Clarence intervenes and bite, bites Bert. I love um, that. Sort of, Goodness, yeah. he's a bit fighty, hey. <laughs> and we see in the other reason that he hasn't got his wings yet is that if some <laughs> things start to go south while he's on an angeling, he just says, just just if he reaches a point sooner than most where he just goes, oh sod it, and starts biting people to see if that helps. <laughs> This reminded me of the um, Scabbers moment in the first Harry Potter, just the game day player moment. Just throws yeah. himself in, <laughs> sacrifice. Like, I'm dealing with this. <laughs> I love the bit. He's like he's on his he's being held down on his back and he's just shouting, Joseph, Joseph, <laughs> like for divine intervention. And it happens. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then and the cops like, did I have a drink? I thought he was drunk. Was I drinking? I think yeah. I must have been drinking. Yeah. So um, we, we zoom in on, on George's family, what they've been like without him. So his own mother doesn't know him and she's opened a, a guest house because she's bitter and lonely because her only son, bit, um, who's uh, Harry, yeah. actually died now because George in wasn't there to save lake. Him. Yep. And of course that boat full of soldiers also died because Harry wasn't there to, to save yeah. him. All these sort of knock-on effects. Um, Uncle Billy's ended up in sort of... A, an asylum because he's lost his mind when buildings and, and loans went under. Presumably he sort of dropped eight grand somewhere and that was the end of it. <laughs> that was the end of that, yeah. <laughs> that was the end of that. Um and yeah, and then the final the final one George goes to the library to find that without George Mary's lost all her sex appeal. She's, <laughs> 
the worst fate imaginable for any woman that she should be single and gainfully employed. <laughs> she's just what? she's she's yeah, she's a she's a librarian who doesn't recognize him. Yeah. So, I mean the not recognizing thing that that's par for the course. But the idea you're exactly right. This is the worst thing that could possibly have happened. She's become less sexy. <laughs> We can all agree, can't we, gentlemen? This room full of men writing this script. We all agree this is the worst way we could present her. Marvelous. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and in the in the end, George chins the policeman who's he's turned up again to arrest him. And th- Bert is a nice guy and everything, but goodness me, he could have done with some better sort of police training. Could he yeah. just start spraying bullets everywhere? To <laughs> take down George. <laughs> <laughs> Again, different sort of movie if you finish it early. Yeah, maybe that's just the way they did it in the forties. But goodness me, he yeah. just he just starts blasting with his hand cannon. <laughs> <laughs> just starts cooking fools. <laughs> doesn't hit anything, but anyway. ah, because he doesn't. Because he doesn't. <laughs> you know, I've just um, today I've watched another classic of Christmas cinema, um, Die Hard Two. Oh, um, the, the, Die Hard the... Two though. <laughs> Amazing. The, the, the fluctuating accuracy of some of those people with guns, depending on who they're aiming at. <laughs> it's hilarious. It is incredible, isn't it? <laughs> but for another oh, time. Um, so we end at the bridge again. And uh, George is, 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 is sort of, again, thinking, well, I'm, I'm chased, chased to this bridge. Is it all over? Uh, Bert arrives and recognises him. And we just we realise George is bleeding again, yeah. Um, and his hearing is gone again, yeah. And he's got his petals in his pocket again because yeah. he's back where he was, and he's been given another. This is basic. It's basically the yeah. last scene in Scrooge, yeah, in, in Christmas Carol. Scrooge, Scrooge is back, yeah, yeah. So he's but uh, it, he, but he's but, like, it, but it's even better because Scrooge wasn't a, a wanker to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, like it's uh, like oh, George wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. The Scrooge character wasn't. A, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he does the "I'm alive," running through the street, oh, shouting "Merry Christmas." Yeah. Um, and you know, I, 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 I tell you what I liked about this is that yeah. he is happy to be back because he's seen what his what life would be like without him in all those relationships he's happy to be back because he gets to have those relationships again he's even Mm. saying i don't have the money i'm gonna get locked up isn't it wonderful like it doesn't do what i think a movie even five years later than this in the u.s would have done which is that actually the solution is we're gonna get enough money Mm. and fair enough that happens but his like his as a character what happens to him like the 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 material provision for him you know the fact that it gets him out of a hole that way is is not the thing that saves him it's the it's the relationships that save him and i just i thought that was that was just amazing i think that is the reason that this film touches people so much actually yeah and the the film this the end of the film works because of all the all the careful work that's been done before to get you on board to the extent that they do the absolute ultimate after school special cliche everyone shows up in this house to celebrate <laughs> the, to give him money as well including the guy that was about to arrest him because there wasn't enough money conflict of interest much that yeah. guy's getting arrested he's not going to have a job tomorrow <laughs> yeah so the community's rallied round to, to help him they've come up with all the money themselves 
good old um, Hee Haw Sam's kicked in 25 grand. 25 grand. And I, I tell you what I wanted. When that happened, then I was like, well, that's more than enough. And everybody's already given their stuff. Although notice that the people coming back and giving money are the people to whom he said over the years, oh, it's just a loan. Pay me back. Um, <laughs> and who have never paid him back. So really what this is, is debtors repay creditor at crucial moment in creditor's life, which I suppose <laughs> is half heartwarming. It still feels quite American. Um, yeah. But I really wanted, what I wanted at the end of this was a scene where, because they've got way more money than they need now, he marches over to Potter and goes, I've got 25 <laughs> grand here and I'm buying out your portfolio. Hop it. <laughs> I think that's one of the um, amazing things about the film as well. Potter just disappears. He just sort of fades yeah. away. Yeah, there's not that cathartic of... act of violence at the end where you get to stick it to the guy that screwed you. It's just, no. I've got enough. I've got he's what sort of, I need. Who gives a shit about this guy? Yeah, he becomes an irrelevance. He's sort of yeah, exactly that. Like the arrested. evil becomes an irrelevance, not a battle you have to fight, a battle that you leave behind. And I think so. On you know, for saying that, what I want is that scene. Of course, that's because I've watched so many other films where there is that scene. But actually, like this is, I found this really refreshing and really wonderful. Hmm. That is just seen as unimportant. Yeah, that it's just you know. I mean, I actually do think it's a, pre- a really important principle. The if there's if there's something going wrong and there's somebody that's clearly responsible for it, fighting them is usually something that you're going to have to do. But the mm. fight isn't the thing that makes it okay again. What makes it okay again is the re-establishment of the world in which their evil doesn't have the effect it was trying to have. Like, mm. and and that happens through all the relationships that are around you. And yeah. like that, I just couldn't. I mean, I've been talking about the feels, but bloody hell, man, did that have me in the feels there? Yeah. So everyone but Potter basically shows up. Yeah. Um, even Harry comes back, and they all have a big sing song. Um, apart, oh, and but Clarence has has obviously disappeared. But yeah. they get Clarence's book. Um, Tom Sawyer, Tales of Tom Sawyer. They hear the bell ringing, and it's like, good on you, Clarence lad. Lovely <laughs> stuff, class. <laughs> Way Clarence, 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 Clarence. And they all lived happily ever after. <sighs> Christmas. Dave thoughts oh mate i loved it like it was it was it it is what everybody says it is um and that's quite a trick because people say a lot about it um and and but it is exactly that and i actually think the arc that it takes you on the two the two things that really struck me as really important and really unique about it are the fact that it's the relationships that bring him back not the money um, mm. That's the solution that he's looking for. That's the that's the that's the restoration that he's after. Is being reminded of the positivity of the relationships around him, and the fact that at the end it's not a final sucker punch to the bad guy, right? Mm. It's um, who gives a shit about the bad guy? We're here together, and actually, I think that is that is a form of liberty and liberty from oppression, if you want to put it in such heavy terms, that is available to everybody waiting for the bad guy to get their comeuppance is something that you'll wait for forever but Mm. waiting to see the good in the relationships and in the people around you that is something which is far more available and that's where the victory happens and i just that just oh goodness i'd never seen that in a film before Mm. and i just and i I just thought it was wonderful what about you since it wasn't your first time through what your reflections and stuff yeah i really enjoyed it I've, i've enjoyed it more every time I've watched it um, since sort of the very first. I mean, the first time I watched it when I was a, a t- young teenager, I, I enjoyed it, but sort of 
it was okay. It's like yeah, you know? fine, black and white movie. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but yeah, you really come to appreciate the uh, what it's you know the message and also the way it's delivered and also just how, as we've said, how different it is um, in terms of decisions they make with characters that constantly surprise you when you're watching it from the perspective of someone who's seen drama after drama where yeah, exactly. so it's always based yeah. around the conflict between characters yeah. and you don't you don't have the expected conflicts here which yeah. makes it really interesting because it's yeah. still so compelling yeah, that's it enough, isn't it it's not boring it's a no. nice movie that's not dull and is genuinely compelling and has enough drama in it and I find that very surprising and very good the um, interestingly enough, the the film didn't do actually particularly well when it was released. <laughs> it was it was okay, but I think yeah. it lost money at the box office. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was only in the seventies when it became sort of a Christmas film staple yeah. on yeah. TV, yeah, and everyone absolutely. started loving it. The, yeah. uh, the I've seen a quote from the director who said it was kind of like having a having a sort of a child who becomes president it sort of it kind of feels like it's your achievement but not you're proud but not you're proud, in a very real sense yeah, yeah it's like it doesn't yeah. feel like it's your it's sort of yeah. it's your achievement anymore yeah um yeah. but yeah well shall we see what other people made of it around the internet i have never been more ready to hear what the internet thinks of one of what is clearly one of the greatest movies ever made <laughs> I can't wait for these one stars, Matt. I honestly can't. <laughs> the the vast majority five stars. I've got to say. Okay. But yeah. um, yeah, I have tracked down some one star reviews as well. <laughs> so they're coming out. You do the hard work, Matt, so we don't have to. <laughs> uh, we start with Sonia, five stars. Um, I'm 67 years old and I've watched this film since I was quite small. Cannot remember since when, but it still has the same impact upon me all these years later. I believe in angels. Oh, oh, that's a that's a lovely little bit of thing. I'll I'll forgive that. There's not many reviews which end with "I believe in angels" that I would I would see as not a bit over the top. But for this movie at Christmas, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a review that does justice to the film in its sort of tone. It sort of feels yes, like exactly that. If somebody had put a five star review for Jurassic Park down, where they said <laughs> "I believe in angels." <laughs> I would have found that a strange non sequitur, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just signing off. Alan Grant Just was great, say- and I really enjoyed Richard Attenborough's performance. I believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad. That's not a bad sign off. Like, like that's the, almost like a perfect, equally strange for any circumstances non sequitur to use as your sort of personal sign off on the internet, isn't it? <laughs> I might drop Thanks. that at the end of some other reviews as well. That, um, yeah, <laughs> I believe in angels. <laughs> Great stuff. I might do. Actually, I'm going to end every every one of these reviews with it and see what it says. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is like when you do um, when you do fortune cookies. You ever done this? You get a fortune cookie from a Chinese takeaway, and you just add the words "in bed" at the end of every fortune cookie. So like, the hand of destiny is at the end of your arm in bed. <laughs> Okay, let's give it a try. Anonymous gave it five stars. Classics are classics because they ignite something inside you, something that reignites every time you watch them. Whether that ignition is nostalgia, happiness, wonder, or sadness, it's these strong emotions that make up the metaphorical fire in our heart that will keep us loving these films for all time. By this definition, It's a Wonderful Life is very much a classic. I believe in angels.
<laughs> again, it works. It that does. will fly. And that, and again, I've no argument with that. With mm. that sense, I actually think that's quite a nice little definition of classic. Although, obviously, the emotions it evokes might be slightly different if you're talking about a classic horror movie. Mm. Like, if a classic horror movie uh, it evokes mostly happiness, joy, wonder, etc., it probably hasn't done what it was setting out to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but actually, that is not a bad little definition. I quite like that. Mm. Uh, Carter, five stars. Probably the best Christmas film ever made. There's no PM. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> listen, listen, Carter, listen. In a universe that contains the Sticky Bandits, I think we all need to wind our necks in a bit here, but carry on. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's missing from Wonderful Life is there isn't a It's a Wonderful Life 2 lost in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> It's a wonderful life too. Oh, featuring a cameo from Donald Trump rather than featuring in the main role as he did in the previous, in the first one. Yeah. So Carter, five stars. Probably the best Christmas film ever made. Probably. There's no PM dancing to jump, nor oversized elf, nor a couple of robbers getting their comeuppance from a small boy. Oh, Dave, his tanks are on your lawn. Oh, oh, God. shots fired. <laughs> Uh, however, it is a brilliant film in black and white about George Bailey, who feels life has let him down until he sees what life for others would have been like had he, George, never been born. Lovely 1940s, 50s film that makes you take stock of your own life. I believe in Angel. <laughs> I believe in it again. Solid. I, I love that as a thing at the end of it, just to be like, and as a result, I now believe in Angel. Yeah. Who wear really weird, kind of frilly, flappy, floofy underclothes. Yeah. As Clarence the Angel does in this, um, yeah, no, I th- and I think it does, and I think that's actually a nice little, nice little thing about the um, kind of an adornment to what the previous guy was saying about um, mm. about what makes a classic is that it is the place these things end up having in your heart or your experience, the way they help you to reflect on your own your own life, and I actually think it does it precisely because I don't think it's very preachy. Like, I think it just presents this one character that you find it incredibly easy to empathise with all the way along. Mm. And that, you know, that creates space for you to think about your own life and your own experience and everything like that. And, yeah, it's yeah lovely stuff for that mm. reason. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into the one starers. I'm particularly excited about <laughs> appending I Believe in Angels. To <laughs> Absolute <laughs> shite. I Believe in Angels. <laughs> Julia gave it one star. Always heard this film was a classic and wonderful Christmas entertainment. It was awful, with what felt like hours of shouting from an angry man. Had to turn it off. I believe in angels. (laughs) (laughs) I believe in angels. She spat as she left the room. Um, (laughs) Just want you to know. What? Hours of... I mean, yeah, he gets pretty angry, but he has been brought to the point of suicide. Do you expect him to do that quietly? Just Mm. how... I'm going to put money on the idea that this person was English. The the (laughs) objection to the idea that a character who is presented as being brought to the brink of suicide does it whilst being a little bit narky. (laughs) I I mean, I think that's par for the course. Is he supposed to just... We're supposed to just have... You know, an hour and a half of Jimmy Stewart stoically getting worse and worse and worse before he just walks off screen. This is not Ingmar Bergman presents It's a Wonderful Life. Like, you just walk out into the snow to a silent soundtrack and the glint of the Reaper's scythe in the middle distance. That's not the sort of black and white film it is. Well, well, yeah. Just uh, as he's getting to the end of his, his rope, just like, about that time then. 
Yeah, exactly that. I'm going outside, and maybe sometime, <laughs> and that's it. That's the only thing. I mean, that's a bit. Did you feel? Do you feel like that's a fair? All joking aside, like, does she do a lot of yelling? Is my memory of the film just sort of eclipsed by the fact that Jimmy Stewart is just Jimmy, Jimmy, perfectly decent fellow, Grinny Stewart? Hmm. That I'm forgetting how long he spends yelling because it doesn't seem like he spent that long doing it to me. He doesn't do a lot of yelling, but I think, it, it, with the exception of whenever he's in a room with Potter, I don't think he Potter. ever finishes a scene without yelling. <laughs> without yelling, <laughs> and that that Matt is perfectly justified given <laughs> Potter and the characterization of Potter. Potter. I mean, uh, yeah, no, he does. He does. I mean, obviously, he expresses emotion, but there's like. There's like a five minute scene, the point of which is he's dancing with a girl. You know, like. How many other like in a in a modern movie that would be thirty seconds, mm. and it'd be set to fucking dubstep. So like I feel like the movie spends quite a lot of time doing other things in other tones of voice as well. But yeah. you know, didn't like it. Fair enough. Yeah, there is there is shouting, but it's um, part of a rich tapestry of interaction, yeah. which goes on. Yeah. Um, Julian, one star, hectic, violent, misogynistic American cheese. I believe it ain't. <laughs> 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 which, which, since I'm fully in favour of all of those things, has brought me to a belief in the supernatural. Uh, uh, crikey. Um, I mean, we've touched, haven't we? Like, I mean, I think it's important not to just blow past, uh, you know, the presentation of female characters, which is definitely secondary to the experience of this male character. That's mm. true. Um, uh, and I think there are ways in which you could interpret Mary's sort of character as being... Uh, ruined by the idea that she just has to follow her kind of feckless man wherever he will go and with whatever he will do. Mm. I think you could say that. I, I actually think that would be to flatten the character and to say that she's being more one-dimensional than she, I think she actually is. I think she's very well played for how little it is. Mm. Um, but then on a on a, a more serious level, you know, you've got your undressed how you know? How old are you? For a start, I'm, oh, I'm definitely eighteen, sir. You've got I'm hiding in the bushes. You know, don't care about that. Come out no matter what you're wearing. Uh, and and of course, you've got what we spoke about. And you know, I don't want to make too light of it at all because you've got it being presented as you know playful horseplay for the rich, good-looking younger son of the household to chase with harassing intent, however playful in its context you know the african-american woman who works in their house mm. and that's you shouldn't you shouldn't blow past that uh, and i don't think it can be be sort of avoided but as you say it, you know it's a product of its time um and i don't think that means it's worthless but i also don't think you should blow past this sort of thing mm. um so i think i think the the certainly the accusation that there's there's misogyny in it is fair i think that's not something it's not like the film's an apology for misogyny i think it's a presentation of a misogynistic age and misogynistic culture Mm. um that's i don't know that's what i would say but maybe i'm just making excuses yeah it's one of those ones that probably comes with a a warning now saying contains attitudes yeah in that you know that a representative of the time it was made, which was the forties, yeah. I suppose. Which it does, and and to be fair, if you've seen some other stuff from the forties, holy <laughs> shit, this is. <laughs> I mean, this is this is like a hymn to progressive uh, 
you know, progressive uh, ways of approaching things uh, by comparison with other movies that were released at the time and indeed up to 30 years later. You know, let's not forget the black and white minstrels had a show until the 80s. <laughs> like, <laughs> so by comparison, uh, I'd say this this attempts to posit a world which is less misogynistic than the one it was made in, I would say. Hmm. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have what in it, in it what it has in it, because it does. Lisa gave it one star. Rubbish, unable to stay awake for the whole film. I believe in angels. <laughs> <laughs> I quite is like it, that one. It's as if she's fallen asleep and then sort of dreamed of angels. <laughs> and seen an angel. Yeah, exactly. In an unrelated topic. Um, uh, well... I mean, I don't think one can reasonably blame the movie you're watching at Christmas when you fall asleep on the sofa for the fact that you fall asleep on the sofa, <laughs> right? That's because there's been a lovely large meal, lots of carbs, lots of turkey, followed by an alcohol-soaked pudding, followed by any amount of drinking, and then It's a Wonderful Life is on the TV. That, quite frankly, the fact that you fall asleep is not down to the film. Mm. Do you want to hear the final review? I really do. It's five stars from Andy. Before viewing, I assumed this film was going to be cheesy and twee. How wrong I was. It's a wonderful life show, so anyone's life can quickly spiral and feel bleak, and how the right perspective and faith in humanity can bring you back from the brink. It's the ultimate feel-good story, and that feeling is hard-earned, which makes it all the more satisfying. Yes. Sorry, Karen. No, no. I can just... I can can hold him off, Andy, for a minute. (laughs) Go on, Dave. (laughs) I think that's actually a really good point that I hadn't thought of, is that it is hard-earned. You know, it's, I mean, so we, we joking before about the person that only watched the first four-fifths of the movie and thought it was the most bleak and depressing thing they'd ever seen. But actually, like, it it, do, it doesn't feel one-note despairing, even in that build-up. It is doing quite a good, subtle job of examining that journey to despair from a lot of different angles. Mm. And I think in less skilled hands, and certainly with a less talented lead performer, it would be a bit, oh, yeah, so I wonder what's going to prevent him from going on his big round-the-world journey now, then. <laughs> Fell down a hole, yeah. <laughs> right? But actually, it does, it is hard-earned. You know, the joy is not something which is frivolous or light. It's not just optimism. It's it's hope. It's something which has come out of the circumstance of difficulty and struggle and sacrifice, and the fact that sacrifice doesn't often lead to things that benefit you very mm. much at all. Um, and yeah, like I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, I really appreciate that because that's an angle I hadn't really thought of is this sort of, it's got guts to it. It's not just treacly and twee. It doesn't think that the only way to talk about goodness is to talk about fly away things which can't stand up to the realities of harsh, harsh life. And particularly if harsh, you know, vulture capitalism in particular, which makes it a very, very still 80 some years later, um, uh, 60 some, whatever it is, 70 some years later, a very, very relevant film still. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you read that one because I, I we hadn't spoken about it really. That sort of it's got guts. It's not cheap. Like any any feel good that it presents you with is definitely not ignoring the darkness of life is it it's a goodness that comes after it and despite it and redeems it and i think that's very powerful and it finishes by saying if one film gets me in the mood for christmas this is the one yeah 
no joke. I sent a message. The so I sent a message um, uh, to a friend after I'd watched this uh, and before recording, going saw saw this for the first time the other day. It's a bit good, isn't it? And he was like, "You've never seen a wonderful <laughs> life," <laughs> and it, but it's true. And he said, "I'm really jealous of you because you know." Like you, I think he saw it when he was a kid, and so it just becomes this thing that you sort of are familiar with, and you only get to appreciate how good it is in retrospect. Yeah, you never get the first kind of experience of it dawning on you like a new piece of, of sort of art that you've encountered. Um, but but it, it is this really wonderful thing that is. I mean, this is now a hard, solid part of my my Christmas rotation i think like this is this is straight this is a straight in at number one performance for me alongside die hard the father ted christmas special <laughs> and um and uh, the raymond briggs animation father christmas like it's funny, it's, it's up there it's funny you say that because at the end of his review so he says if his one film gets me in the mood for christmas it's this one and then it's die hard obviously uh, and then, final, and then his final line it's a story that takes a likeable everyman to the point of tragedy and triumph and I'll, I'm not sure if that line refers to Die Hard or it's a wonderful <laughs> oh that's amazing that's absolutely incredible it's a story that takes a likeable everyman to the point of tragedy and triumph and created the cinematic template from which we have all benefited so many times ever since then so, so are we are we saying here that the ideal Christmas double bill is <laughs> "It's a Wonderful Life" followed by "Die Hard," or is it "Die Hard" followed by "It's a Wonderful Life"? What's the right kind of? Are we like coming into land or ramping up the tension? What's the right order for those to go in? Do you think? Yeah, I actually did see this year "It's a Wonderful Life" followed by "Die Hard 2. Um, did you really? Yeah. Oh, I love it! Oh, I, "Die Hard 2, by the way. Overlooked quality film, yeah, something that was made in thirty seconds after the first one. It came out the following Christmas as a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, so it's like made in made in a couple of months or whatever. But yeah, oh, we should yeah. do that next year. Oh, and his final line: "I believe in angels." Obviously, oh, naturally, of course, yes. And I think I think we can all agree, Andy. I think we've all been brought to that point ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. That is that is. It's a wonderful life. Uh, and it our, is our canter through it as shout of royal hope you have a brilliant Christmas um, yes. and, and a happy new year and uh, oh before we go if you're thinking of a, a potential addition to your Christmas playlist this year then look no further than it's hot tub time as I sang at the beginning <laughs> of the <laughs> beginning of the podcast Dave this is it's just something I've come across, which I think is the greatest thing ever. So it's, <laughs> do you know, <laughs> there are these computer pro- computer programs that are trying to create songs. Um, oh God, this is an AI Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yes. Oh it's my It's an AI goodness. Frank Sinatra song, and <laughs> so it's taken it's taken bits of Frank Sinatra's other songs, bits of music, presumably from his like it's basically big band stuff. But it's all sort of mixed together to try and create a song that he would write if he was still alive. And this is what they come out with. Hang on a minute, I'm just going to play a bit. It's Christmas time and you know what that means. Oh, it's hot time As I like the tree this year 
It's man, those opening strings that just go a little bit too far towards Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> As I like the trees, it's hot tub time. <laughs> <laughs> and on and on oh in that vein. Oh my goodness! <laughs> what I love That's about magnificent. it is how how absolutely certain Frank sounds in his conviction yes. that everybody oh, it's knows. Oh, it's hot tub time! That everybody Christmas knows it's hot tub time. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot tub time. I love the idea that he's so bought into the idea of that it, Christmas being hot tub time before it is before and after it is anything else. It is hot tub time <laughs> that he's setting up his tree while standing in the hot tub. Like, you want to be really sure of the quality of your lights there. Don't get any cheap knockoffs from the market. <laughs> standing standing in a bubbling pool of hot water, wiring up some slightly iffy, slightly moody Christmas lights could go very, very wrong. Yeah. I love the idea of him standing there. Just get, like, the moment... Fri- so Friday happens, and he leaves the office, and he comes home, and his wife's like, Hi, Frank, welcome home. And he's like, listen, you know well enough not to talk to me until what? And, and hot tub time. That's right. Now, and just pulls off. He's got stripper trousers on for the special occasion with the swimming shorts underneath. Walks oh, over to the hot it's tub. Oh, it's hot tub time. <laughs> stands there, and it just stands there with his hands on his hips, baby blues twinkling, impeccable hairdo still on the go, and says, right, from now on, for the next two weeks, you and I both know that I'm only doing stuff I can do from this hot tub. So if you want the tree done... Bring it over here, and I will light it up now. You want the turkey? Happy to help. Modern man, me. But I will do it in the hot tub. And if I drop it in the hot tub, guess what we're having for Christmas? Yeah. Boiled hot tub turkey. Well, That's the, what we're having. Well, the second line of it, it sounds like his missus is in the, is in the tub as he's lighting the tree. I don't know what he's <laughs> setting the tree on fire for, but he's yeah, brilliant. I also love how, because the computer program doesn't quite get his voice right, um, yeah. gets as close to as possible it sounds like he's ever so slightly slurring his words as well <laughs> so it sounds like tub is being like spelt T-U-R-R-B <laughs> it's like it's hot tub time <laughs> I uh, uh, it's Christmas <laughs> I'm in the bath that's the point of the song no oh, it's hot tub time <laughs> Oh yeah, a, a clear, I mean, it's a crime if that isn't Christmas number one this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? I don't think I've felt as strongly about a Christmas number one uh, ever before in my life. I'm very <laughs> invested in this. Oh, it's hot tub time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the only thing that can make that more perfect, actually, is if in the middle eight it turned into a mashup with Westlife's I Believe in Angels. <laughs> That's what you need. You need yeah. you need hot tub time plus I Believe in Angels equals a shark liver oil Christmas. I think there's a bit later on where you can hear other voices behind it. just sounds like the music of the damned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I say, those intro strings, <laughs> yeah. they, they take a semitone step too far from whimsical towards terrifying it's a bit you know Krampus can be seen in the gloaming beyond the pool of light in which you've carefully placed your hot tub for hot tub time this Christmas (laughs) it's hot tub time every Christmas it should be hot tub time absolutely I couldn't agree with you more yeah if you own a hot tub 
then please use it over the festive period. <laughs> if you don't, then hop in the bath. And if you don't in the bath, <laughs> just sort of stick your hands in the sink for a bit and just just, say to, <laughs> just to get the feelings. Frank says so. Yeah, everyone deserves a bit of hot turd time <laughs> over Christmas. Hot turd time. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, with that parting gift, um, glory. We, we welcome in 2021. Let's hope it's a damn sight better than 2020. A flipping <laughs> men. Oh. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Matt. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh. <laughs> <Hot> to <tub> time. <laughs>